Good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, good. I'm glad. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapter 5. We're actually in chapter 6 today. Um, and closing out chapter 6. So we spent a lot of time in 5 and moving through chapter 6 pretty quickly, relatively speaking. Um, I want to keep the handles fresh for us as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm, we're going to rehearse it again because I think it's really important and really helpful to have the handles of what Jesus is doing for us throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what he's teaching us. So it starts where? Where does the Sermon on the Mount start? You remember Otto? No? You were my big helper a couple weeks ago. It starts with the Beatitudes, right? That's what we call them. But what are the Beatitudes? It's just what it means to be the happy man, the happy person, the blessed person, right? So it's a depiction of the character of a disciple of Jesus. Um, and it's about true happiness, true blessedness. And it starts with the heart, with character, with who we are on the inside. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. With those kinds of things, right? And then it moves into being salt and light. Our righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who just want to be seen by people to be righteous, right? It's not just about how we look on the outside. It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. And why do we need to be salt and light? Because we're here to show the Father in heaven to the world. That's why. So that they can see, the world can see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. Not because we're great, but because he's great. Right? And so then Jesus turns to us and to our hearts. And he really begins to do surgery, right? He deals with our passions. Our lack of self-control. In the places where we need self-control. And where the rubber really meets the road, which is in our relationships with other people. Right? So... He says, it's not just about not murdering. It's about not being angry, right? It's not just about not committing adultery. It's about not lusting. It's about our hearts. It's about being faithful to your spouse. It's about being honest in your speech and having integrity. It's about not seeking vengeance when others do you wrong. It's about loving not just the people close to you, your friends and your family and your neighbors, but your enemies, and praying for those who persecute you, that are trying to hurt you, right? So that's it. That's us. That's dealing with ourselves, dealing with our own hearts, dealing with what's going on inside of us, learning self-control so that we can better love others. And then when it comes to loving God, it's about actually seeing that we live to please our Father in heaven and not living for the praise of men. Right? It's really easy to take our acts of devotion to God, our giving, our praying, our fasting, and turn them into ways to draw attention to ourselves and show people how righteous we are. Right? Jesus says, don't do that. You actually have a Father in heaven who sees, who cares, who loves you. So live to please him and not be praised by men. So yourself, your own heart, the way that you interact with other people, 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then, of course, when you pray, pray to God as Father who really hears you, really knows you, really sees your needs, really wants to provide for you and care for you. Because he does. And all of these things represent freedom, real freedom. Freedom from being controlled and ruled by our passions. Freeing, freedom from being controlled and ruled by our desire to please other people. And then what's next? It's what we started last week, which is freedom from the world and the things in this world. First, freedom from our love of the world and the things in it. That's what we talked about last week. Our treasure is not in earth, but in heaven. Not living for small things that will rust and decay and disappear. Things that we can't take with us. We're not being ruled by the petty gods of money and power and wealth and status, right? And this week, we're talking about not only being not ruled by our love of those things, but not being ruled by our fear of, ha- of having them or of not having them or of losing them. So that's today, don't be anxious. And that makes sense. We're supposed to stop loving the world. If we stop loving the world, oh no, what's going to happen? Are we not going to have the things that we need to take care of ourselves? So that's what Jesus addresses. And let's read it uh, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? in the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we come to your word, that you would calm our hearts and and that you would help us to set aside the anxious cares that we have that distract us and that draw us away from you and from your kingdom. I pray that you'd be very near to us and that you would help us to honor your word and to love your word and to see you as the kind and generous and loving father that you are. I pray that um, as your word is preached around the city, that you would be at work in power in your church to draw people to repentance and faith and newness of life in Christ. And we pray that you'd be doing that work among us this morning and among our brother and sister churches um, in our presbytery. Thank you for the YMCA and the, the staff that have opened this place up to us this morning. We continue to pray for Jacob as he 
heals and uh, deals with the difficulty of uh, being one of uh, having one functioning arm. And we pray for Bart and Anna as they continue to prepare for marriage. Help us this morning. Help me. Give me faith and wisdom and grace and humility um, as I preach. And give us all soft and tender hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So anxiety. It's not a problem for anybody here, right? It's not a problem in America. Not an issue. Listen to this. Antidepressant usage in America rose 65% from 1999 to, you want to guess when? 2014. 65%. As of 2017, Americans spend more money medicating their mental health than they do heart disease, diabetes, or cancer. More money is spent on antidepressants than on cancer treatment in America. As of 2019, one in five women and one in 10 men were on prescription antidepressants. That's prescription antidepressants. So think about it, okay, in this room, right? One in five women, one in 10 men. That's prescription antidepressants. But then there are all the other ways that we medicate, right? We're also in the midst of an opioid crisis in America. And that's, there's a reason for that. <clears throat> there's also a whole lot of weed doing a whole lot of work for people to keep their minds calm. There's also a whole lot of alcohol being consumed. And none of that takes into account the last year that we've all been through. None of that takes into account 2020. These are stats from 2016 and 2017 and 2019. But we don't even really have the numbers on 2020. We don't have a handle for where we're at right now. We have it anecdotally. We remember some of us were in Bible study uh, back in November and Andrea was talking to us about the number of patients she sees. She's the only contact that she had or that they had for months at a time, right? She's a dentist. Months and months and months, incredibly fearful. No human contact, very scared to walk into the dentist's office. Scared to be around friends and family. Consumed by anxiety and fear. Some of it legitimate. Nothing to see here. Richest, wealthiest, most medically advanced civilization in the history of mankind. No anxiety problems here, right? Nobody in America needs to hear anything Jesus has to say about anxiety, right? Okay, fine. Nobody in America does, but you're not nobody in America. You're somebody in America, right? So how about you? 
What makes you anxious? What are you anxious about? What tempts you to be anxious? Just stop and think about it for a minute. And think a little bit about last week too, right? We talked about the gods that consume us, right? Everything we see is an opportunity. What are the fears that we see everywhere all the time? What makes you anxious? Jesus knew the people in front of him. Food and clothes. (laughs) Food and clothes, money. He's just warning them about uh, not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. And so he has to tell them not to be worried about money, not to be worried about food, not to be worried about clothes. We don't live as close to the earth as most people who've gone before us. All of us struggle with those kinds of fears, money and food and clothes and that sort of thing. We don't struggle with them in the same ways that they did, right? Jesus talks about how you sow and you reap and you store into barns. Any farmers in the room? No farmers in the room, right? So that that's talking about something that's outside of your control, right? You sow, you reap, but you don't provide the growth, right? All you can do is put the seeds in the ground and then wait. And, and God's got to give the rain and God's got to give the sun. And then, you, and then you can go out and have a harvest, right? It's outside of your control. So what are the things that are outside of your control that consume you with, consume? Consume you with anxiety and fear. Some of it's the money stuff, right? And the job and the insecurity and, you know, what two, uh, two restaurants closed this past week. Uh, Arazu on, or Arazu, I don't know how to say it, on Maine and uh, the refinery in downtown Newburgh, right? Things are still closing and, and jobs are still being shut down, right? So there's that, but there's also things like relationships and people. All kinds of things in our lives. Social situations. Now, let's think about Jesus and what he has to say to us in this passage. This passage today, he commands us three times not to be anxious. Three times he says, do not be anxious. But how he does it always blows me away. Because what is anxiety? Like, if you get down to it, what is it really? It's fear. It's fear. And what kind of fear? It's fear that God doesn't love you and God doesn't care. It's a fundamental mistrust in the kindness and goodness and love of God. That's what it is. Because he's in control of the things that are outside of your control. He's in control of whether the seeds pop up. And you're going to be anxious about that. You're mistrusting him, right? And to mistrust God to have no faith that he loves you and cares for you, is that sin? It is, right? It's that, that's sin. Jesus has no problem dealing with sin, sin head on either, right? He has no problem bringing the hammer down on sin. We've seen it over and over and over as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Angry? Stop it. Lust? It'd be better to cut your eyes out. No problem, right? 
But here, this is not what he does. He doesn't bring the hammer down. He stoops to us and he reasons with us. Why is that? I think Jesus felt acutely the frailty of what it means to be a man. Felt the weakness of being a man. Remember what Jesus has just done before he goes and preaches this sermon. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting without food, being tempted by the devil. He felt deeply that pain in the frailty of human existence. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways as we are and yet without sin. What's more fundamental to human weakness and frailty than our dependence on food and clothes and shelter? I was reading a story about some guy who got uh, lost in the Canadian wilderness when he was 14 for three days with no food or water. And they found him in the field position naked. Frail, small, weak. What happens if... We don't really feel this the way that, you know, like I said, we don't live as close to the earth as other people have, right? We don't, how many of y'all have spent time out, out in the Canadian wilderness, right? It's not the kind of thing that we do. It's not the kind of thing that we have to do, right? We do it for fun. We don't do it for, right? Like we do it for kicks. We do it for adventure. I guess Megan has. <laughs> cool. John, John has too, I think. But he's over there, so I thought I could get away with it, but then I couldn't. Um, but you feel your vulnerability out there, right? So what happens? We, we, we're insulated. We have all this infrastructure that's in place that insulates us from this. But what happens if the global su supply chains get permanently disrupted? There's some catastrophic event. Then what? What are we going to do? Go back into hunter-gatherer mode? We're just all going to die. That's what's going to happen, right? We're just all going to die. Eventually, one way or another, we're going to go take our guns to Walmart and, buy, and get canned goods, and then it's going to be done, and then we're going to be like, okay, now what? I guess until I run out of bullets, maybe I'll be able to kill something, but I don't know. Is the internet still up? Like, how do I, what do I do? So Jesus is talking to people who feel this, who feel their frailty and their weakness, who feel it more than we do. And not just because they're from a different culture. Remember the kinds of people that are gathering to Jesus, right? These aren't the wealthy and the rich and the strong and the powerful. These are the weak and the despised people out in the, out in the highways and byways, right? These are the nobodies. These are people who are, have been beggars, lame Blind, lepers, isolated socially, people that he's healed. He knows who he's talking to. And so he gets down on his knees and he starts talking to them almost like children. And he says, don't, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. 
Look around you. They're outside. He's preaching this sermon. Look around you. Look, look outside. You can see Lowe's is there. See Lowe's? <laughs> Maybe a bird will fly by and then we'll, we'll, we'll get some of it. But he, look around you. Look around you. Look at the birds. No, no birds inside. You're right. Yeah, but they are out there. Jesus says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Do you really have anything to be worried about? Let's look at it more closely. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So there's the first argument, right? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food? What kind of argument is that? Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? What's he saying? Um, yes, life is more than food. That's why we're worried about food. Yes, the body is more than clothes. That's why we're worried about the clothes to protect the body. Well, that's not, that's not what he's saying. What he's really saying is this. Wait, wait. Where did your life come from? Where did it come from? Who gave that to you? Who gave you your body? Where did it come from? They're gifts. They're gifts that are given to you by God. Your life is a big thing. Your body is a big thing. You're here today living and breathing because God made you, because God formed you, because God willed you into existence, because God wanted you to be here. He chose to make you. Your life is bigger than food. Your body is it's more important. It's a bigger deal that you're here than clothes. God made you. And he wants you to be here. And he's sustaining you every single day. We used to have a, uh, we used to use a children's catechism with our kids. You all know what a catechism is? It's a really simple way to teach. Question and answer, question and answer, question and answer. And it was really simple and fundamental. And I don't know, any of my kids think you can answer some of the questions? Just the first couple? Peter? Made you. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. Why should we glorify God? It was, oh, so close. Lucy, you got it? Because he made me and takes care of me. Mom messed it up. Because he made me and takes care of me. Really simple. Really simple, right? This catechism is like four or 500 years old. It's how they used to teach kids, right? Who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. So why should you glorify God? Because he made me and takes care of me. The kinds of things you can teach to kids. He made me. He takes care for me. Care of me. 
He has a purpose for every life that he's given. And every death that he appoints and every moment in between. And it doesn't mean there's not suffering in this life, but it does mean that your life is in his hands and his hands are good hands. He does love you and take care of you. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What's Jesus saying when he says, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns? Is he saying that that's a bad thing? Sowing and reaping and gathering into barns? No, we all have to prepare and plan for the future, right? Every single commentator or preacher or whoever I read talking about this stuff says this, this passage is the last refuge of the worst kind of people. Cowards and scoundrels who every time you put in front of them anything that calls them to take responsibility for themselves or their lives or their family or their children or the future, to look anything in the face, they say, you're oppressing me. Look at the birds. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Uh." Right? And you all know this kind of person, right? It's like probably a missionary somewhere, right? (laughs) I I just go and I do and God provides. And actually what I do is I go and I manipulate people and I, you know, try to get through life without ever taking responsibility for myself or anybody around me. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is actually talking about the freedom to look the future in the face, right? Jesus is always calling people to take responsibility and to count the cost, to count the cost of following him. Take up your cross and follow me, right? People come to him, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, yeah, um, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I'm homeless. You will be too. We just go, right? And they're like, no, that's not not for me. Count the cost. Look it in the face, right? It's the kind of thing that Jesus is always calling us to do. Um, He's not telling us not to plant. What he's doing is he's saying, look, the birds don't have the ability to sow, (laughs) They don't have the ability to reap. They don't have the ability to store. They're not like you. They get up every day and they have to, they have to forage for food. And God still provides for them. There's still something for them. They always find what they need. Right? You plant, you harvest, you store, you work your job, you invest in your education. God gives the growth. And worrying about whether or not God's going to give that growth is silly. It doesn't give you anything. Worry is a taker, not a giver. It's faithless because God provides for the birds. They don't know how to plant. They don't know how to harvest. They don't know how to gather. Aren't you more valuable than they? The food they need is there when they need it. You can plant, you can harvest. And are you not of much more value than stupid birds? Do birds even exist? I get this like Facebook thing that like advertises to me. It's 
really funny. Have you seen this thing? It's like birds aren't real. Birds aren't real, right? <laughs> and it's just this comic sort of satirical thing where it's like, actually, since the 1960s, the United States government has been in a conspiracy to kill all of the birds and replace them with drones. Every bird you see is a drone that's watching you. <laughs> right? And they have these shirts is like birds aren't real and stuff like that. It's pretty funny stuff. They're just birds. Okay, they're just birds. God loves the birds. <laughs> Jesus says, does he say their heavenly father feeds them? He says, your heavenly father feeds them and takes care of them. Your heavenly father cares for the birds. <laughs> Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? And then he continu continues. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Can you add anything to your life by worrying about it? You can't. All that you can do is take away, right? You can't add an hour to your life by worrying about it, but what you can do is lose an hour of living by worrying, right? You can rob yourself, you can rob your family, you can rob the kingdom of God of that hour, but you can't get it back and you can't add to it by living an anxious life. These are all things that are inside the control of a father who loves you and who takes care of you. So Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He's moving on to clothes now, right? I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, look at the lilies of the field. The grass is covered with flowers. Don't look out that window. It's all like manicured, whatever, it's grass. But flowers everywhere, right? We're in the beginning of spring. The trees are budding and blooming. God beautifies and covers the world. And he never gets tired of doing it. Every spring, Flowers upon flowers upon flowers, and they all disappear and go away. It's all transient, but God cares. He does it again and again and again and again and again. And you're worried about clothes? So Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. If you only knew, I can just think of Jesus and her down on his knees. If you only knew and trusted the love and care of your father in heaven. The same father who gives rain and sun to his enemies so that their crops grow. That same one. The same father who didn't spare his only son for you, but gave him up for us all. That's the God who's in control of the things that you can't control. If you understood his love for you, you wouldn't be worried about food and clothes. That's for pagans who don't know God. That's what he says next. Gentiles. Gentiles, people who don't know God, they seek after those things. But seek first the kingdom. But your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you.
um, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. The Greek word anxious here throughout this passage actually carries with it a connotation of distraction. The things that worry us distract us from what's important, right? Um, fearfully distracted. Distracted by fear might be a good way to interpret this. Distracted. Um, Peter yesterday had a baseball game and uh, he stood into the into the box and his last at bat. And the very first pitch was a strike down the middle, and as it was coming, he's backing out. He's afraid. You can see it. You can feel it. Right? Next two pitches may not have even been strikes, but an umpire who sees that is going to reward the pitcher who's fighting to win and not the batter who wants him to give him balls because he's scared. Three pitches, three strikes, sit down. Right? Now, baseball is a really great analogy for life in all kinds of ways. We all step into the batter's box. No, if you've played Little League Baseball, everybody's had that moment multiple times. It's something that you have to deal with. You step into the box, and you have to deal with your passivity. I just want the umpire to be in control of this situation. And if it's close, I've got two strikes on me, and it's close, and I don't want to take the risk of taking the swing, taking the cut. I don't want to take responsibility. Maybe the umpire will give it to me, right? It's passive and fearful. Sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that make us extra scared, that traumatize us, that hurt us, right? There's actually greater context to Peter's out. I haven't seen Peter be like that in years in the batter's box, actually. But this season, Peter's been hit seven times, and he'd been hit twice earlier in the game. And most of those hits by pitch were ones that he could shake off. But the last one, the very last one, was when he caught in the ribs. And you could tell it hurt. And don't worry, he was a man about it, right? He didn't rub it or anything. But you could tell it hit different, right? Fastball to the ribs is going to hurt. This is kind of like the back of the ribs, but he's like me. You know, there's no padding there, right? So it's like, boom, right there. And it hurt him. Trauma, right? He hasn't been hit like that in a long time. And so suddenly, like, all this sort of, like, reflexive fear takes control. And he's, suddenly he's distracted, right? He's in the box. He's supposed to be up there to hit. He's done it a hundred times, right? He's been hit plenty of times. He knows how to handle that. 
But suddenly, that fear takes over because that, and that wound is fresh. It's real. Anxiety, fear, it's about control. It's about the things we can't control. It's why people who don't have self-control are the most controlling people that you know, the most manipulative people that you know, right? They can't control their own emotions. They can't control their response to things. So they have to try to control everybody and everything else in their lives, right? Everything that is meant to be focused internally on dealing with themselves, they focus on everybody else around them, right? Manipulate, control, control my circumstances. Things break outside of the box, they lose their minds, right? And that's part of the, just the beautiful thing about the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus starts with what? He starts with self-control. Get yourself in order, right? Your fear, your anger, your lust, all these things. And then he comes to the things of this world and he says, no, don't be controlled by fear here either. Because why? What's the answer for us? The answer that allows us to look the future in the face, that allows us to look all of these things that we're vulnerable to, all the places where we don't have control, whether it's with the things of this world or with people around us, is, hey, you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you. You can look it all in the face for what it is. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. <laughs> Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God cares for the weakest and the smallest things that he's made. And he's made you. And your life is more than food. And your body is more than clothes. God made you. And he takes care of you. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day has enough trouble of its own. And God's grace is sufficient for us, for all the trouble that he brings into our lives. Because he always cares for us in the midst of it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us faith to just trust that you love us and care for us. Our first parents in the garden, all the way back to Adam and Eve, didn't trust your goodness. And to this day, every one of us struggled to trust you. We pray that you would humble our hearts before you and that you would make us grateful for all that you have and for us and that you would open our eyes to look at the world that you made and that you care for and that you've been caring for for millennia and see your love and your kindness and your grace and your goodness and everything even to your enemies and especially to your children free us from our anxious fears. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen.